Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how you doing on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon? I am doing great. Uh, I looked at my phone yesterday evening to see what the, the weather was looking like today. And I showed a high of 84 degrees and a low of 30. And that might be the largest spread I've ever seen in a single day. <laughs> so enjoy all the warmth and the wind because it's turning absolutely frigid tonight. That's so Oklahoma it hurts. Now to have a to call that the biggest spread ever would be really saying something for Oklahoma. We get wild swings more than just about any place in the country. Yeah, I mean, fifty-four degree difference in one day. That's uh, <laughs> I don't know if it'll end up. I don't know if it'll end up touching that or not, depending on how fast the cold front comes in tonight. But we've got gymnastics tonight, and I'm looking, and it's going to be like shorts and t-shirt weather when we go into gymnastics, and oh, then Lord. we're out. It's going to be like coats and sweats weather. So, oh, um, yeah. So everybody, just stay warm. Stay, stay cool. Stay cool. Cool. Stay warm. I don't know. It's windy. I can't go to the golf course. It's a bummer. Yeah, I took the, me and the fam took our dogs for a walk yesterday. Went to the park, and uh, I don't think that'll be happening tonight, based on that spread you just gave me. So, uh, this show is sponsored by Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com for all your spring sports-related needs. Obviously, it's gonna be cold tonight, but uh, spring weather is. Mostly here. It's going to be here for the foreseeable future. So stop by Chris's if you're up in Stillwater for any of the fantastic spring sports we have up in Stillwater. You know, you mentioned you were looking at your phone at a, at a wild number, meaning the temperature. I texted you yesterday when this tweet from Barrett Salee came out about Oklahoma State's Big 12 odds, courtesy of Bet Online. And I just, I kept looking at it. I see Kansas State first, Utah kansas arizona texas tech ucf where where's oklahoma state iowa state and then boom oklahoma state at 16 to 1 to win the big 12 next year the eighth best odds next season that line no matter how you feel about oklahoma state going into 2024 is patently absurd it was so absurd, Colby. I picked up my phone and texted you immediately because rarely do we get betting opportunities quite like this. Uh, yeah, no doubt. I, I've got a buddy who um, handles some things for me where, where these things happen. And Oklahoma State 16 to 1? Give me a break behind UCF and Iowa State. And, and here's my thought. I've already I've already gone out on the limb. I've predicted 11-1. I think Oklahoma State's the best team in the conference. Um, reliable head coach, reliable roster. You're returning all your production. Like, things just seem to kind of be lining up for Oklahoma State. So my idea was to hammer the Big 12 championship number. And then if the Oklahoma State makes it to the Big 12 championship game, which I think should be the, the floor expectation for this team this year, then just hedge and bet their opponent on the money line. I couldn't believe the 16 to one line. And by the time I got to it, Carson, I almost missed it because I didn't get it at 16 to one. It was like 15 minutes after you texted me that I got it at 12 to one. And about five minutes after I got it, it was gone, just completely gone off the, off the board. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know if somebody got fired over that number, but I'm looking at it now at 10 to one is where it's moved to. And that's what at six, that's what 40%, a 40% movement. And they had to take the line down. 
I don't know if that's fireable, but clearly Oklahoma State at that number was hammered uh, out in Vegas. And these books looked around and decided, whoa, 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 we made a huge mistake. And Oklahoma State's now been bumped up to 10 to 1, still behind, mind you, Kansas State, Utah, Kansas, 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 Arizona, Texas Tech. Uh, Oklahoma State falls in at sixth followed closely by UCF and Iowa State, who were originally ahead of Oklahoma State in odds. The disrespect out of Vegas, Carson, it's it's becoming stupefying and uh, honestly profitable. So let's just roll with it. Uh, I have a friend that has a bet online account. I dropped the absolute MC Hammer on it. I did the ha- MC Hammer dance when the wagers were placed, uh, not only to win the Big 12, but also the win total, which is seven and a half. Uh, yeah, it's just, look, this is an Oklahoma State podcast, I grant you. But let's take a step back and look at this objectively. I think, you know, uh, uh, Josh Pate, uh, he does a certainly a good job nationally. Greg McElroy, who I've mentioned, they had Oklahoma State second and third, respectively, uh, in terms of the Big 12 next year. That, that to me, um, that to me gives you a good barometer of just what the national feeling is going to be about Oklahoma State. Uh, we, I've mentioned it on this podcast before. Oklahoma State has the fourth most returning production in the country. Uh, they have obviously just loaded for next year. Then you throw in the fact they've played for two out of the past three Big 12 championships. It's just, it was a crazy line. And I still think 10 to 1 is far too low. And the craziest part about this line, though, Colby, was that Iowa State was ahead of them. Iowa State has been playing football since 1892. They've yet to have a double digit regular season campaign. Since they've been playing football. 1892 or 1982? 1892. Jesus. 1892s is when they played their first season of college football. They still haven't won 10 games in regular season, much less, you know, won a Big 12 championship. So uh, it was a crazy line. Uh, yours, your, yours truly and yourself, we, we, we got in on the action. So we're going to be a little more uh, living and dying with Oklahoma State football this year. Yeah, the win total at seven and a half. Um, yesterday it was even money to bet the over. It was even money to bet the over seven and a half. It was minus one thirty to bet the under. They pulled that line down. They put it back up today, uh, just before we started recording. And they essentially they left the number at seven and a half, which blew my mind. I thought for sure after the, the money was coming in, they were gonna jump it up a full I thought they were gonna jump it up a full win to eight and a half to to kind of cover themselves. They left it at seven and a half, but they flipped the juice. So the over is now minus one thirty, and the under is even money. So for those of you not familiar with betting terms, minus one thirty means you have to lay $130 in order to win a hundred. So they flipped those. So the over is now the the favorite in the seven and a half. But yeah, I got it yesterday at minus one oh five, which was even after it had moved from even money. And five minutes after I bet it, it was gone. Um these are the two, and, and I'm not a big better. I bet small amounts on fun sporting events here and there. Um, I do bet responsibly. It's just something fun to do from time to time. I don't make or lose enough money um, to really to really get worked up about. That being said, if these bets were to hit, it would be enough uh, that I could get a little bit worked up about it. It is the two largest individual wagers that I have ever made on a sporting event. Um the- <laughs> The bet to win the Big 12 championship was the largest wager I've ever made on a single sports bet. Um, and that record was held for about 30 seconds until I bet the win total, at which point that became the largest <laughs> bet that I've ever made. So um, 
call us homers, whatever. But I, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Oklahoma State's the best team in the Big 12 Conference. And if that comes to fruition, it will be profitable for those of us who are in on the ground floor, as you would say. It's it's the NVIDIA of sports betting for those of you who are following the market. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not sitting here saying it's a guarantee they're going to win the Big 12, but the odds of them making the Big 12 championship are extremely high based on everything we've been talking about. And then you just throw in the fact that I see this graphic power five team win count since 2010. OSU is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're eighth in the country since 2010 in wins. <laughs> and people treat them like they're, they're Sam Houston state. Just let this little engine that could, uh, but can't win big 12 titles. So they just put, keep putting them down the list. It's just, it's remarkable. Uh, West Virginia also disrespected. They went uh, nine and four last year. Their only losses were to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and that ridiculous hail mary they gave up to Houston. And they, and then they lost their season opener against against Penn State. Thanks a lot, West Virginia, making the Big Ten look better than they are. But in Big Twelve play, their only two losses were to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and then that hail mary to Houston. Uh, yeah, decent team. I, I don't know. West Virginia, I don't think, has the track record and the reputation um, to garner much money and garner much more respect than that. Uh, BYU and not BYU, Baylor and Colorado sitting there at 50 to one. I, I don't think either of those schools are going to contend for a conference championship, but uh, I'm really maybe a little surprised with the Arizona love after losing their coach. I understand that they had a really good season. They returned some production, but they've got the fourth best odds in the conference and I love what Leopold's done at Kansas, and Kansas ha has been on the up and up, but are, are you really telling me that Kansas is the third favorite to win the Big 12 title? I just... Well, they, they get Jalen Daniels back, but my biggest issue is they lost their offensive coordinator. Yeah. That guy was amazing. You and I sung his praises all season long. He's now at Penn State. Let's see, let's see if he's a true miracle worker, if he can get Penn State playing actual decent offense in the year 2024. But I thought their offensive coordinator is really what made them go. He's gone. Yeah, he is gone, and I, I don't think that's going to happen with Penn State. I don't know if anybody saw it last year. A reporter asked uh, James Franklin about throwing deep balls just to loosen up the defense, and James Franklin about lost his mind at the idea that you would throw it down the field just, <laughs> just for chess, chess purposes. Um, but anyway, I, I just – I mean, a lot of faith is being applied to the new Kansas State quarterback who is going to be pretty raw coming in, despite being talented at 3-1. to one. Utah, I understand Cam Rising's coming back, but they're coming into a new conference. They've got to travel to the toughest venue in the conference for their first Big 12 game in Stillwater. I just, man, Texas Tech at 8-1? to one? Like, there are some schools in here that I just don't believe in, and they're all being given more credit than Oklahoma State, a team that... I mean, like we mentioned, two of the last three Big 12 title games, beat OU two of the last three years, has been around in the conversation. I mean, how many times in the last 15 years has Oklahoma State been front and center in the conversation for the Big 12? It hasn't always come to fruition. Oklahoma State has had a lot of heartbreakers in the month of November. But going into November, I'd say, I don't know, 10 of the last 15 years off the top of my head, Oklahoma State's been in the conversation to win the conference. Um, the disrespect just continues to mount, but it is what it is. They're... They're doing what they can do out there, and I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Gundy is the most profitable coach against the spread since he took over at Oklahoma State. So uh, Vegas can keep doubting Oklahoma State, and the backers can keep making money. What am I missing with Texas Tech? Did everyone not learn their lesson from last year? Dude, I have no idea. Um, I don't get it. I don't get it. They're, it's Texas Tech. Like, they're going to be fine. They're going to go 7-5, and five, and that's fine. 8-1 uh, <laughs> to one to win the conference? Boy, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, 
I just I thought we all learned our lesson last year. Uh, I like Baron Morton, but is he really going to lead them to the promised land? I I have questions. And UCF, I thought lost a ton. We'll we'll see what they are in year two. It's 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 a lot easier to make a splash in year one. It's a lot harder to be consistent in year two, three, four, and on down the road. We've seen that, you know, with A and M going to the SEC, they make a big splash early on, and they've pretty much gone back to exactly what they are. Same with same with TCU. They've kind of been just a complete roller coaster. But again, Oklahoma State. Uh, regardless of how you look at it, that was a ridiculous number, and uh, we hammered, and we're going to see where the chips – now, the play is right. You mentioned uh, – I'm going to do the same thing. They make the Big 12 title game. You just hedge with whoever they're playing? Uh, yeah, and, and it'll depend on who the favorite is and what the money line is. And what I'll probably do, because um, it, it's a bet set to pay out a more substantial amount, is I'll probably hedge with like 25% of what I would be due to win if Oklahoma State wins the game. So it, it's a mini hedge. You still make profit and you're you're happy with your bet. Um, you still get your money if Oklahoma State loses, but you back your Cowboys assuming everybody's healthy going into the game and you feel good about it uh, and you get a little more profit if they win. So that's it, it'd be kind of a mini hedge would be my plan. Um, more or less what I did with the Chiefs a couple of years ago. I think we, we talked about it on this yeah. podcast. I, I got him at like nine to one in the middle of the season. And then I did a little mini hedge in the Super Bowl that year. They lost to Brady and the Bucks um, and hit the mini hedge. So that's probably my play. Yeah, that's that's good thinking. So are you are you ready to shift to one of the worst weekends in Gallagher Ibis history? Uh no, no, I'm I'm not ready to shift to talking about that Bedlam basketball game. That one hurt like legitimate sports pain. Well, let's start with the positive. I mean, fantastic crowds for basketball, for wrestling, uh, tremendous atmospheres for both. I thought the OSU fan base really showed up, and then they were handed just a straight-up kick to the you-know-what. <laughs> it's pretty much what happened, starting with the basketball game. Um, tremendous basketball game, I'll just say that up front, Colby. I mean, I don't remember the last time I sat and watched a college basketball game and said, this is an amazing game, regardless of if it's bet- – and let, let alone Bedlam. I mean, Bedlam's – been kind of one of the uglier versions of college basketball you can watch over the last several years. Uh, but it was a tremendous game, back and forth all the way down the wire. OSU led for most of it and then let the lead slip. But again, just I, I will say off the top, it was an outstanding game. Yeah, it was. I think it was probably the best Bedlam basketball game since the Cage game in Norman, which I believe also went to overtime. Might have even gotten up into the 90s. I was at that game. Uh, it's the one time I've been to an OU sporting event in Norman as an adult, and it was a good day to be there. Cade went bananas, and Oklahoma State won the game. It was the absolute antithesis of what we watched a few weeks ago down in Norman, which was truly, I thought, especially in the first half, one of the worst displays of basketball I've seen at the Division I or, or any higher level in my lifetime. The first 10 minutes of that game were unwatchable. I couldn't believe that these were the two teams that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were putting on the court. Um, and then both teams just showed up Saturday, ready to play. I mean, they were making shots. The cutting from both teams, the ability to get to the basket, and I didn't think the defense was really atrocious by either team. I just thought the offenses were making the exact right play at the exact right time. Um, Eric Daly was awesome. Keon Williams was awesome. It was just... It was really a, a great Bedlam basketball game, and that was something um, to close out the Big 12 series that I think was was good for all the fans to see both teams play well and have a, a fun, entertaining game that we didn't have to just talk ourselves into caring about. Yeah, and I, I think they'll work it out, don't you? I mean, they were all asked about, you know, continuing Bedlam. I think, you know, not only does college basketball, frankly, just need it, they, they need as much interest as they can garner compared to college football. 
uh, it's a lot easier to schedule in basketball than it is in football. So I, I really don't have much concerns of, of Bedlam going away. I think both schools would, would like it for it to continue in that sport. Obviously, football is a much different story. Football is the reason they're no longer in our, in the same conferences. But um, I've always maintained in, in when it comes to sports like basketball, baseball, softball, all of those sports, Bedlam should continue. But in football, absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. Football doesn't need it. Um, football is not an, an equitable series historically. Basketball, I think, makes much more sense. Um, because also in basketball, everything is weighted so heavily in football where one loss can just be the difference in a successful season or an unsuccessful season. And you have a little more wiggle room in basketball. It doesn't totally kill you if you lose a Bedlam game that, that becomes non-conference in December. I, I think Bedlam basketball continuing would be fine. Um, it's been a pretty even series for for most of my lifetime. Mike Boynton obviously uh, has had a ton of success in Bedlam until this season whenever he lost two close heartbreakers. So I think that there is a good chance that it continues. And, and I would be, I would be in favor of that. Um, and assuming Mike Boynton's back next year, and I, I think he will be. And I think that this last three weeks or so has probably solidified that. Um, I, I think that he still gets through to his team for Bedlam games. And, and I think they played incredibly hard on Saturday and, um, Oh, you did too. And just, I, I mean, again, we can get to that last possession, but just a hero shot makes, makes one fan base's day and, and just absolutely crushes the other one. Yeah, no team had a run larger than 4 nothing after the first two minutes of the second half. So it just shows you kind of the back-and-forth nature. And, yeah, I mean, just double whammy with Javon Small missing the front end of a one-and-one one that would have essentially won the game. I know you would have had a last-second shot. Uh, they missed that going to overtime. OSU's up one. Colby plays literally perfect defense. You couldn't play defense any better. And McCollum, who was one of eight from three in this game, just throws what can only be described as a prayer up. And, of course, the 20-year kick to the nuts that OSU basketball has been continues. It's been 20 years of moments like this, Colby. Like, of course that shot went in. The guy that was one of eight. Uh, get shades of Tony Crocker going nuts in Gallagher. But Tony Crocker was... One, not he's a decent player, but nowhere near the player that he showed off in Galgariba. It just my thought leaving that game was OSU's been stuck in this twenty year quagmire that feels like a kick to the groin, and that was the the latest swift kick right to the right to the Peets. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and by the way, I just want to again voice my displeasure with the one and one and one rule. Um, I think it's one of the worst rules in all of sports. Men's college basketball is the only level of basketball where the one and one exists. Women's have have done away with it as they've gone to quarters. Uh, it's not in the pro game. Like it just exists in men's college basketball. This is not a prisoner of the moment. It cost Oklahoma State. I don't think I realized that. Wow. Yeah, this is, this is not a prisoner of the moment. Um, OSU lost a Bedlam game and I'm upset take. This is a take I've had for years, way back when I was with the franchise. Myself, Chisholm Hall, and John Hoover, we did a segment talking about the worst rules in sports. I listed the one-on-one -one college basketball rule as the worst, and my reasoning is simple. I think you're rewarding the defense for committing a foul. The defense commits a foul, and you put all the pressure on the offensive player now. Uh, you, you don't get the ability to go to the line and shoot two, which is how it is 
for every foul at every other level of basketball once you get into the into the bonus. So I just think that that's a terrible rule. That being said, it, it's the best free throw shooter on your team, and he steps up, um, and he just nukes it off the back rim. It it was it was brutal, man. Um, so that one was tough. And then at the end of overtime, when Oklahoma State had a one point lead and the ball, but they couldn't run the clock out. I thought the possession that they got there at the end was just a disastrous possession. It was just Javon small dribble, 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 dribble for 20 seconds. And then kind of drive and, and throw something wild up in the lane and hope for the best. I thought that was a bad possession when you had a chance to go up by three or four at the end of the game and, and really make it hard on Oklahoma. Now the shot that McCollum hit, Jamiron Keller, props to you. That was the best. I mean, that was maybe the best defense of the season. Just on-ball, man-on-man defense. McCollum was trying to get around him down by one and get to the basket. Jamiron Keller was moving his feet. He was in front of him. He was in a legal guarding position. He he wasn't making too much contact. He had a hand in the face. He nearly blocked the shot. He, he had the guy two inches from the out-of-bounds line, throwing up a heave as time expired. It was the absolute... Um, it's textbook defense. It's how you would coach a guy to defend in that moment. And the guy just hits a hero shot. It was a prayer. It was a miracle. It was one in 50. I don't know. Um, but it, it really hurt when it went in and it's okay to say that it's okay to acknowledge the, the sports pain that we all felt on Saturday. We don't have to diminish it by saying, well, this season was a bust or anything anyway. No, I, I wanted to beat OU the last time. I hate losing to them and it hurt when that shot went in. So uh, all credit to that kid for hitting the shot. That was obviously huge, but I don't know what more you could have asked from Keller there. Yeah. Just again, more of the same, not, not being able to close out games. I mean, again, OSU led majority, uh, just more of the same. And I, I will say another thought I had coming out of it, Colby, you know, did you see the moment where we're Boynton ran out to midcourt and just launched off the, uh, the orange blazer. Did I lose Colby? I'm back now. I don't know what the problem is. Can you hear me? Yep. I got you. Did you see that moment where Mike Boynton, uh, took off the sport coat? Uh, yes. Yeah. When he ripped it off, that was, he was uh, fired up, man. I mean, again, my thought coming out of this game, like seeing that, like I want Mike Boynton to succeed. He's so likable, so relatable. Like that's everything I've wanted a coach to do (laughs) when I watch college basketball and just, he's just so likable. Like comparing him to like a Travis Ford who always just came off really smarmy to me, like someone I didn't relate to at all compared to like a Mike Boynton who's over there with, you know, he's tatted up. He's got his T-shirt on because he took off the sport coat. He's slapping the floor. Like, I want this dude to succeed. And that that was a moment that I think stuck out to me that I was thinking about a lot afterwards as well. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, the energy from Mike Boynton on Saturday, I, I think he's got – a young team, an energetic team. I think we saw a lot of that from Keon Williams on Saturday, who's kind of the the energizer bunny for Oklahoma State basketball. And I think that he felt the energy in that moment, felt like he could ramp that energy up even another level and hopefully propel his team to victory. That It didn't end up working out that way, obviously, but I love the passion um, and, and just the willingness. I mean, you're kind of putting yourself out there in that moment, whenever you do that as a coach, because if you do that and then your team falls flat on their face, it doesn't look quite as good. It's kind of the same thing with the comments he made a couple of weeks ago. If you make those comments and then your team goes out and lays a few clunkers, then you you kind of look like you don't really have the pulse of your team and the exact opposite 
has happened in the three games since Mike Boynton made those comments. BYU, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma, they played incredibly hard. They won two out of the three. It took a miracle shot to lose the third. I, I like the things that Mike Boynton has said and done the last few weeks, obviously playing the result a little bit there with the way things went after those comments, but that's that's the reality, right? You, you win games and things start to be viewed through a different lens. So um, I think he's probably done enough in February to, to justify, you know, that's a big buyout next year. And, and what would your plan even be if you let him go, bring somebody else in, all new roster turnover? I just continue to harp on the fact um, that you have to have enough in NIL to keep your current roster. You've got to keep your core five, which is Javon Small, Keon Williams, uh, Eric Daly, Brandon Garrison, and Jamiron Keller. You've got to keep those five. If you can do that, then I think absolutely Mike Boynton coming back next year with those five would give reason for optimism for Oklahoma State fans. Yeah, they need to get some wins if they want to make the NIT. And, you know, Marshall, this is his fifth thought on his fifth, and his five thoughts coming out of Bedlam. You should go read it on Pistols Firing. I think it's a really good point. You know, he says obviously not not going to make the NCAA tournament, but it could do this young team a lot of good to get the NIT, and also you know, it, it, if they're able to retain the young talent, like Mike Boynton's basically said, like, look, we got to keep our guys before we even think about the NIT. Uh, you just think of how these young players starting to emerge: uh, Q Williams, Keller, who you've mentioned, uh, all those guys. They they got a lot of young talent that are really. This is the trend. You and I were kind of hinting at of just a few weeks ago we were hinting at the fact that his teams typically play better once you get into march and we're already starting to see that the results have been mixed but it's a heck of a lot than the the, the style of play and the and the results of play we've seen when they started big 12 play so i think from here on out colby they got to get some wins to get in the nit because that could, it's kind of like a bowl game right they get extra practices extra games uh, i think extra chemistry building amongst these young guys you know brandon garrison spoke about wanting to stay at Oklahoma State and wanting to do big things in Stillwater. I think seeing success and getting in the NIT will go a long way towards solidifying those guys wanting to stay. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that some of the early season struggles and then coming on later in the year can be attributed to just the, the extreme roster turnover that we've seen at Oklahoma State under Mike Boynton for a variety of reasons, but it, it seems like there has been a lot of roster turnover, and then you're not very good in November and December, and then you kind of start to figure things out later in the season. So, um, yeah, if you could bring these guys back, that would be huge, and, and getting them into the NIT again, is it a consolation prize? Of course it's a consolation prize. You want to be in the NCAA tournament, but that doesn't mean that it can't have some value. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't go out and try to win it and just experience the single elimination tournament and what that means to, to play in, in that style of tournament before you come back next year and hopefully piece it all together and make the NCAA tournament. So, so yeah, it's not like this, this season is going to result in any kind of, uh, you know, banner or anything for the fan base to really hang its hat on, but there are still opportunities for development and, you know, I'm sure there'll be people out there that will make fun of the NIT, whatever, if you have success there. But I do think that things of that nature matter for young players and young teams. And if these guys do come back together next year and you hope that they will, you hope that the collective will be able to make that happen uh, and that Mike Boynton will, will play a hand in making that happen as well, then I think that that experience could be valuable for these young guys. So uh, hopefully they can win some games down the stretch, get into the NIT, get some more time together. And then maybe if you can have some roster continuity, then you could come in with a little better non-con next year uh, and have your feet under you a little bit better when you get to conference play. Yeah. I thought the wrestling duel was even more disappointing than Bedlam basketball. 
because you're you're in your home arena, just like basketball, but you're favored in this one. Uh, you're playing a much better opponent, I grant you, in Iowa. And, um, you know, it was a pretty evenly split um, duel on paper. Five favored from Oklahoma State, five favored from Iowa. Uh, obviously, we everyone know the Olenek match kind of flipped things. Uh, he was ranked number three, lost to number seven, Michael Caliendo. Don't call me Frank. Uh, and then uh, Luke Serber fell four to one in his match, but but you know obviously they they got upset in a couple Colby, and that's that's your match that or that's your duel that's your that's how it goes down. But overall, I was just so disappointed in the lack of aggression. I think everyone in the arena was disappointed in the lack of intensity, the lack of aggression. John Smith spoke about that at length afterwards. It was just kind of a confusing performance and just so disappointing because. You know, OSU Wrestling had real momentum heading into this duel. It was, you know, sold out, an amazing crowd. I think our man Seth Duckworth said it was like the third largest crowd they've had at Gallagher. So I just thought it was a pretty flat, disappointing performance from OSU Wrestling. Yeah, and, and again, I don't claim to be a wrestling aficionado. Um, I am a casual follower of Oklahoma State Wrestling. I do follow it, but I'm not in the weeds like some people are. Um, so if you are one of the aficionados, you'll have to excuse any missteps here. But it, it just seemed to me like maybe Oklahoma State Wrestling um, and the individual guys on the roster just weren't quite ready for that moment. Um, again, I, I don't know that I would say Oklahoma State was favored. A lot of the things that I read, you know, uh, Coach John Smith said before the duel that he thought Iowa were probably the favorites and, and some wrestling pundits were favoring Iowa to win the duel based on the way that uh, that the matchups were shaking out across the different weight classes. But still, you're the number two team in the country. You're undefeated. You're at home in front of a sold-out Gallagher-Iba arena. And it, it was a very flat performance. I was able to catch uh, some of it probably about the second half whenever it was kind of already looking like Iowa was going to win the duel. So it was disappointing. And, and to have the sellout crowd come and, and not really get to see you put on a show is is disappointing. So um, I think that's the word that I would use to describe that performance. Now, again, the regular season in wrestling, you're, you're not getting any trophies. You're not hanging any banners. They can still go out. They can win the Big 12s. Uh, there are some individuals who can go win a national championship. So uh, there are still things to, to play for on the mats. But, yeah, Sunday's duel was a, a huge letdown, I think. And um, hopefully, like kind of like we talked about with, with basketball, hopefully that's a learning experience when, when they're dealt a similar hand next year or the year after where they've got kind of a big one that they need and they didn't get it this year. So um, hopefully they can bounce back and win Big 12s. Yeah, I mean, I thought the real highlight, though, was was Dayton Fix. He goes 36-0 and in his career at Gallagher-Iba. I mean, this is – he's one of the best – wrestlers to come through Oklahoma State certainly in recent memory uh, he, he doesn't have the national titles to stack up with all the greats he's had a lot of heartbreak in, in national finals uh, super likable kid local kid from Sand Springs just I think everyone not just with Oklahoma State ties uh, he's pretty popular amongst the, the wrestling fan base at large I know OSU typically gets booed at nationals just because they've been so good for so many years but I think a lot of people are going to be rooting for Dayton Fix to go get him a national championship. Yeah, for sure. I, you might have said this. I was reading 36-0 and 0 in his career at Gallagher. Yep. I mean, how good is that? 36-0 and 0, um, to just show up on your home mat and never have a bad day. He's probably the favorite in most of those matches. But to never have a bad day, that's really impressive. Like you said, local kid, um, really cool. Also, great wrestling name. Dayton Fix is a great wrestling <laughs> Um 
yeah, I, I'll be rooting for him heavily at Big 12s and at Nationals. Uh, you don't know if he'll get it or not, but if he does, I think that that would be a huge just kind of um, boon for the wrestling program and for the fan base to see him go out and get one because it, it seems for sure like he is deserving and, and overdue. Yep. So we'll have to wait and see uh, how he does come March Madness. Um, this kind of stunned me. We all know Oklahoma State has a uh, checkered past. A uh, They've been robbed by the NCAA Tournament Committee for years. Uh, Mike Boynton had two legitimate arguments to get in, did not. I thought Travis Ford was continually underseated uh, the, the times he made the tournament. Um, so it was interesting to me that Chad Weiberg has been named to the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee. His uh, five-year term starts on September 1st. Colby, I think this absolutely matters. I mean, Joe Castiglione has been on the committee, and Oklahoma got the 10 seed with him on the committee. Uh, they can say they rec recuse themselves all the time, but relationships matter, and I think this is a great, great deal for Oklahoma State. Yeah, again, it's not a matter of – I don't think that – Chad Weiberg or, or Castiglione or anybody else is sitting in this room and saying, look, guys, I, I know my guys are probably an eight seed, but that's just a brutal draw. Let, let's bump them up to the six. We can make the matchups work. I don't think that's happening. I just flatly don't. But what I do think is that these guys are sitting around, chatting it up, uh, being chummy with each other, being friendly, and they might look around and say, you know what? I like this Chad Weiberg guy. And then subconsciously, you like this Chad Weiberg guy. You like Oklahoma State a little bit better. Maybe they get the six instead of the eight. So, yeah, I think it'll be a good deal for Chad Weiberg to be on the committee. Hopefully, Oklahoma State will get just some of the benefit of the doubt that we haven't seen um, in, in recent years or, or throughout the history uh, of Oklahoma State basketball over the last 15, 20 years. It just seems like Oklahoma State never gets the benefit of the doubt. So maybe we'll see a little bit more of that. And hopefully, if there's a little more investment in, in basketball, you can keep this young core together um, and Mike Boyne can stick around it and start to make things work. Then hopefully, you can have a team that we see in the tournament, you know, three, four, all five of the years that Chad Weiberg is on this committee. That would be uh, obviously best case scenario. And then hopefully, maybe you get just a little bit of that friendly boost in the seedings, a little better matchups, a little closer to home, things of that nature. Um, again, they, they say they're not biased, but these are human beings making these decisions so I, I think it can only be a good thing to have Weiberg on the committee yeah it, it certainly can't hurt that bottom line uh and you know Weiberg had some some choice things to say when the NCAA sanctions were handed down we were disappointed dismayed and disgusted uh the three d's uh we'll see if he we'll see if he's uh you know obviously Oklahoma State will not be in the NCAA tournament discussion this year but we'll wait and have to wait and see in the coming years what his role uh will entail and um, how much that will actually help Oklahoma State, we, we'll never know, but it certainly is better than, than not having any representation at all, as we've seen the last few years. So, All right, it's time for the Toast of the Week, Colby, uh, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Be sure to check out the flight. Uh, it's warming up outside. It's a great little light beer that uh, is refreshing, tastes way better than the, the other ultralight beers on the market. So uh, be sure to check out Yingling and the flight at your local establishments, your local stores. Uh, Colby, what's your Toast of the Week? Carson! I love me, love, 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 love me a suicide squeeze to win a baseball game. Oklahoma State goes down to Globe Life, uh, playing as the number two team in the country, Arkansas. It's, it's one, one all in the bottom of the 14th inning. A couple of freshmen are able to get on base. Lane Forsyth comes up, and on an 0-2 count with one out in the bottom of the 14th, Josh Holiday puts on the suicide squeeze. Now, for those of you not familiar, uh, there are two different kinds of squeezes in baseball, which is where a runner is at third base, 
with less than two outs, and you're going to lay down a bunt to score this runner because you're hoping he can get home before he's out. There's the safety squeeze, which is where the runner essentially just gets a bigger secondary lead and waits for the bunt to be laid down and then takes off. And then there's the suicide squeeze, and it's called the suicide squeeze for a reason. You take off full sprint, you're stealing home, and the runner at the, uh, pardon me, the hitter at the plate has to get the bunt down. And if the bunt is down at all, you score because the runner's already 80 of the 90 feet to home plate. That's what happened um, on, I believe it was Saturday night in Arlington. Uh, Lane Forsyth gets it down with two strikes and uh, easily scores. I believe it was Donovan LaSalle from third base. It was just a- an exciting ending to a long, long, long baseball game. And I just can't get enough. I mean, Josh Holiday, bottom of the 14th, suicide squeeze. I love it. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, that was a marathon of a baseball game. I, I couldn't hang in that long, but a uh, great win for them for sure. Uh, I'm going to go back to uh, basketball. Lots of good candidates here. Um, of course, uh, Jamiron Keller is, is really playing well. He had eight points in this game. But I think um, the emergence of Eric Daly Jr. to me is very representative of how this is going to go under Mike Boynton. Uh, guy everyone wanted out of high school. Just an uber talented recruit. Uh, really, he scores twenty points in Bedlam as a as a true freshman. This is the type of guy that Mike Boynton's been trying to accumulate year after year after year. He just hasn't had hardly any retention amongst his rosters. Guys haven't stuck around. Uh, his emergence has been has been really key lately. And I think as his career progresses, I think he goes as as Mike Boynton will go because this has been the biggest problem for Mike Boynton. It's not been getting talent. It's been keeping it, and it's been building a complete roster. And so I was really impressed with him, and I'm, I'm excited to see where his career goes. Yeah, that's a big one, especially on a day when Garrison didn't really have it, got in foul trouble, um, and just didn't didn't seem to be on his A game, and that happens. You need somebody to fill in, and and Eric Daly was that guy. So that was a big one. Uh, Speaking on- of, can I, can I pour one out? Yeah, go ahead. Can I pour one out for the officiating? Like, they let them play in the first half. It was great. In the second half, they like completely changed all of their criteria for both sides. I thought OU had some really ticky-tack touch fouls that were called. But the two fouls on Garrison, I'm sorry, Godwin just flops himself into the third row because he's getting back down. And then the four-point play that they called on Garrison, like he didn't he didn't even touch the guy. And the guy falls down. They they call I just the ticky-tack fouls are horrible in any scenario, but it's even worse when you let them play in the first half and then crack down. It's just like, what do you expect these guys to do? Yeah, I I agree that it wasn't heavily weighted one way or the other in in either team's favor, but it was just the overall shift in officiating from half one to half two. I don't know if they went and watched film at at halftime and were like, all right, we we missed a few. Let's make up for it here in the second half. But I was really, um, I thought it was pretty jarring just how many fouls were called in the second half after the way they officiated in the first 20. So um, that one was tough. Carson, I did want to, before we get out of here, touch on a few Oklahoma State roster items. Off the top of my head, number one is some some weight changes for some key Oklahoma State players as far as what they're listed at. Rashad Owens is listed 11 pounds heavier than he was a year ago. Kendall Daniels listed 17 pounds heavier than a year ago from 213 to 230. Um, Carson, am I, am I reading too much into it to think that a 17-pound weight gain for Kendall Daniels could mean that he's going to spend some more time playing closer to the line of scrimmage um, in more of a rover role than as a true safety back in coverage? Is is that reading too much into it? I think there's a chance. I mean, yours truly was calling for that. Uh, you know, you and I did our resolutions. That was my like one of my number one things was 
I think Kendall Daniels is so good when you just say, go get the football. Uh, see, when you put him as a spy, he can track quarterbacks down. He can track skill players down. He struggled a little bit in coverage. I think that'd be a great move. Uh, and again, you, we, get, we do have to give credit to the uh, Feels Like 45 podcast. They, they put out a whole thread on Twitter uh, with number changes, weight changes, but that one certainly stood out. I mean, 17 pounds, I, that spells position shift. I won't say change, shift. Be, be more kind way to put it for, for Kendall Daniels. Yeah, shout out to the Feels Like 45 guys. They do a great job. Um, I like to think that all of the Oklahoma State podcasts don't don't compete with each other. We just all supplement each other. Oklahoma State needs all the coverage, and we're all just one big team. So, um, yeah, Kendall Daniels going up 17 pounds. Dylan Smith had his position officially changed from corner to safety. He spent quite a bit of time there second half of last season, but he was a true freshman last year. His weight gain, 170 to 185. I think that's pretty significant for a guy who last year was really quick, was good as a true freshman in coverage, had a great game uh, for Bedlam, so I like him at 185. One thing I found interesting, Carson, Brennan Presley listed at 175 last season, listed at 160 coming in this year. That's some pretty significant weight loss for Brandon Presley. I don't know if that's intentional to be quicker on, on some of the horizontal stuff um, and, and just some of the quick passing games since you'll have Scribbling and Owens doing a lot of the other things. But Brennan Presley dropping 15 pounds was not something I necessarily expected. Why would they even put that on there? I wouldn't, why would you want to make him look lighter on, on paper? Yeah, good question. I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, and for anybody who's wondering, Ollie's listed four pounds heavier than a year ago uh, from 211 to 215. So nothing, nothing drastic for, for Ollie. Yeah. Huh. Alan Bowman. Um, Alan Bowman listed 11 pounds heavier, 209 to 220 for Alan Bowman. I mean, we're, we're still kind of coming off like, you know, Christmas. I mean, a uh, little winter, little winter weight. Um, yeah. I guess Bowman, Bowman lost weight, but I don't know. This is like, are they even working out like they do during the, the summertime months? I don't know. It's kind of strange to me. Yeah, these are, I mean, I do think that they put a lot of work in with Coach Glass in the offseason to get guys' bodies where they want them going into fall camp. Um, that being said, it's February. It, are, are these going to be these guys playing weights? I don't think that we can necessarily say that. There's a lot of time now uh, between now and September 1st. The other big note, Carson, and I know you're going to love this one, DeJohn Stripling. <laughs> Going reverse death, going from 88 to number one. I think he's going to look sharp out there in the number one. Uh, I'm on record. Number one is my favorite number in football. I just think that's that's reserved for your your best player. <laughs> that's just the way I've always looked at it, and I love that. Him on the outside. I mean, 88 is a great receiver number two, so it's it's less of an upgrade than most years, but uh, that that's fantastic. I saw Ceci Vihali. Uh, going from 20 to three as well, single digits. Everyone kind of usually fights over the single digits, but uh, I, I did love seeing Stribling go to uh, number one. That that uh, That's going to look good on the outside. Yeah, and I love the change because 88, you know, Brennan wears 80. So sometimes depending on the uniforms, depending on the camera angle, um, you, you'd have to take just kind of that, that double take to see if it was 88 or 80 whenever they're lining up in the slaughter out wide. So uh, I do like the idea that we'll now have Clear delineation between Dejon Stribling wearing one, Rashad Owens wearing 10, and Brennan Presley wearing 80. I think it'll make it a little easier to track. How about the transfer running back from Arkansas, A.J. Green, wearing former OSU defensive back A.J. Green, AJ Green's number four? Is that going to confuse anybody? Uh, it could, yeah. I mean, break out your <laughs> four A.J. Green jerseys. I love it. Yeah, you just recycle them, right? Uh, no, it's a, that's a... 
That was interesting notes. Good job by, by feels like 45 getting those spring rosters put out there. Um, I'm curious to see uh, just what they look like in spring ball, but uh, interesting notes. And again, I think people like Vegas are not really remembering Dijon Stripling, who was unquestionably their, their number one receiver in terms of the outside positions, Brennan Presley, notwithstanding. Uh, so that, that uh, to me, he, he's flying under the radar and, now I'll have a new number where I think opposing teams might at first glance be like, who's number one? Wait, where'd that guy come from? So I'm excited to see him in the, in the single digit. Yeah. And, and by the way, you mentioned Vegas. I'll just read out a, another fun fact stat here from at Willie uh, foosball on Twitter. Fun fact, Texas tech has only won 10 plus games five times in its program's history. By the way, one, one time since 1976 has Texas Tech won 10 or more games. That was the crap great year. They've never been to a BCS Bowl, never been to a New Year's Six Bowl. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State has won 10 or more games five times in the last nine years and have been to three BCS New Year's Six Bowls. Oklahoma State returns its entire staff, almost all of its production, and all of its key production and Texas Tech still, after they had to take the line down and put it back up, Texas Tech still 8-1 to one to win the conference. Oklahoma State 10-1 to one to win the conference. Carson, make it make sense. What's their win total at? We could hammer that while we're at it. Hammer the Texas Tech win total? Yeah. I can have it for you in just a moment. Like, it is yeah, like, eight and a half. What is it? Eight and a half. A full game higher than Oklahoma State's. When's the last? Like, I don't think Kingsbury won nine games. I know McGuire hasn't. So you got to go all the way back to Mike Leach the last time they won nine games. It's insane. It's insane. I, I just don't know what they're doing out there. I maybe we just follow these things closely. But you're telling me Vegas doesn't have a Big Twelve guy. You're telling me Vegas <laughs> have a Big Twelve guy. What are we doing here? Uh, hey, uh, ineptness brings opportunity for for us. So sure. maybe we need to. Maybe we need to hit up our, our boys for uh, bet to bet the under on tech. Yep, fair enough. Good stuff, Carson. As always, several Cowboys in the field this week at the Cognizant. Alex Noren, Ricky Fowler, uh, Austin Ekro, Sam Stevens. Good luck to those guys. Maybe we'll talk a little golf next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, go Pokes.